In this podcast, Pamela Barty, a Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur and developer of a $100 million real estate empire, will share her inspiring underdog comeback story. And along with those of her guests, she'll share how you too, as an underdog, can rise up and succeed against all odds. Here's your host, Pamela Barty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Underdog. Today, I am honored to have this amazing guest here with me today. Dr. Ruth, how are you? I am doing so well. It is so exciting to be here. And it's so interesting that you call me Dr. Ruth because I love the original Dr. Ruth. You told me a fun fact about her that I nearly fell out of my chair when I was so she's a sniper. Well, I always say we have a lot of similarities. So Dr. Ruth and I, we both got our doctorates from the same institution, which is Teachers College Columbia University. We were both in our 40s when we got it. We're both bilingual in the same two languages, but only one of us is a trained sniper. Oh my God. See, I was going to guess you. And then you're like, no, 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 it's not me. <laughs> I always then- tell people, Google it. And they're always shocked. <laughs> <laughs> and I see the, the picture of her too. And it's just so funny. I'm like, she's a trained sniper. This is crazy. Yep. <laughs> yep. And she wears red glasses, just like you. On top of that, your maiden name is Ginsburg. <laughs> like the judge. Total rock star. Total rock star in the name and the energy and everything. So I, I just want to thank you so much for being here today. And I just can't wait to get into your story. And for those of you who don't know Dr. Ruth, she is an absolute rock star in this world, working on a bunch of amazing things. Speaker, author, coach. I mean, rock star all around. She's got a new book coming out, million things. So I guess my first opening <laughs> question to you, Dr. Ruth, is what inspired your journey to, for you to get to where you are today? So it was a long journey. So everyone, my full name is Ruth Gotian, Dr. Ruth Gotian. I figured there are other people with the other names, so I had to let that go. <laughs> it was quite the journey, which started out with a bachelor's and master's in business and led me to the role I have now where I work at an Ivy League academic medical center as a chief learning officer in anesthesiology. Though I have that background in business and I worked in finance for a couple of years, it was really working in academia, which I loved, and working with students and now faculty. It's an absolute joy. It's getting people who are at the top of their game to get even further up to another peak that they didn't even know existed. So at the age of 43, I decided I was going back to school, and I did, and I got my doctorate in adult learning and leadership while working full-time and raising a family, and now I study elite high achievers. These are the people who really got to the top of whatever their field is. So it's Nobel laureates and Olympic champions and astronauts and Fortune 500 CEOs, people of that caliber. Those are the people who I hang around with. I love it. So you have now pretty much what you primarily focus on is optimizing success. How does one optimize success? That's right. So there's a lot of lessons to be learned from these people and, you know, the people who have gotten to that peak performance, which, you know, we see at that tip of the iceberg. I really focus on what's below the waterline, what it took to get there. 
we all know what the last hundred yards was like, but what was that the years and years and years of work that it took to become an overnight success? So that's what I really focus on. And what's so great is that it doesn't matter what field that you're in, if it's in science or sports or government or finance, it really is the same things that they do and how they do it. And that's what I am talking about all the time and writing about all the time and teaching about all the time is how we, us mere mortals, can really optimize our own success from these lessons from the people who have reached the top of their game. So I give a lot of talks about it. I write about it for Forbes and Psychology Today and some of the other journals, plus the academic journals, really try to get the word out there because I think we really can do it. We just didn't know what tools we needed. So you pretty much (laughs) study the underdog in a way, right? In a way, in a way, absolutely. That is amazing. What would be like the number one thing that you think that everyone who's successful has in common? It's four things. And I call them four pillars, but there's depth to these pillars. So I'll give you the overarching theme of each one, but know that there's all these subcategories. So the first one is they are intrinsically motivated. What does that mean? They are so passionate about it that they would do it for free if they could. And very often they do. So they have found what they're good at, but they're not just good at it. They're passionate about it. You would lose sleep over this because you love it so much. You need to see it through. So if you can find that, they're not doing it for the Nobel. They're not doing it for the Olympic medal. They're doing it because they truly, truly love it and can't see themselves doing anything else. So that's intrinsic motivation. That's the first one. The second one is they have a level of perseverance and work ethic that I don't see every day. This is something really, really special. It's about finding the answer. It's about getting to that point, getting to that goal, getting a little bit past it. Third one is they're still doing things at the strong, strong foundation, which they're constantly reinforcing. Whatever you would see, for example, in an athlete, what you would see in a junior high gym is the same thing that you would see in Olympic trial warm-up in the Olympic village, those same types of skills you would see them doing. They're constantly reinforcing it. And the last one is even if they have all these fancy degrees, that doesn't mean they stop working. They keep pushing and pushing and pushing and they'll learn from anyone. So we all hear about all, you know, Mark Cuban and Warren Buffett and Bill Gates that they read five, six, seven, eight hours a day. For those of us that are working and cannot work all those hours a day, it's not about waking up at 5 a.m. or reading all those hours. It's about consuming knowledge. And there's so many ways you can consume knowledge. You can talk to somebody, you can read, you can listen to a podcast such as this one, you can watch YouTube videos, you can read a book, you can read an article. I mean, there's so many ways. Now, here's the thing. Those are the four pillars, but you have to do all four of them together. You can't say today I'm going to focus on this and tomorrow I'm going to focus on that. You have to do all four together and stick with it. And you'll see, I've tried it and I saw a big difference. So I know that it works. Really? So you've got to do all four at once. And you have to constantly do all four. It has to be part of your, part of your mantra, part of your way of doing things because muscle memory, you just do it. Interesting. Interesting. And how you do that, put that all together. Like what would be the first step 
towards that pillar would you think because like you know when anybody's thinking about okay how do I become successful and they think about four pillars at once they're like ah, where do I start well, right so first you have to find out what you are interested in what are you good at what are you motivated in so the first thing that I tell people to do is to do a passion audit to find out what it is you're passionate about what it is that you're good at what is it that you're good at and you enjoy doing? What is it that you're good at and you don't enjoy doing? What are the things that you don't enjoy doing or that you're not good at? You need to really filter this out. So I've actually created a way for people to do this. And you can in 10 minutes figure out initially what is your initial passion. So there's actually a free worksheet on my website where people can download it. It's www.ruthgotian dot com slash passion audit. You can just download it. You get all the steps, all the instructions. It's a worksheet and you'll see it's three columns. And then all of a sudden you'll get this aha moment. Oh, I didn't think of that. And equally as important is you'll find out that there are things that you're really good at, but you don't enjoy doing. And that's fascinating because when that happens, you're like, okay, I need to change things. So I know how to solve a crisis. I know how to do day-to-day -day operations. I did it for a quarter of a century. I think I'm really good at it. But I also know after doing this exercise that it was burning me out and I needed to try something else. I needed to not do day-to-day -day operations anymore. And once you do that, it's like a new beginning. It's a fresh start. It's fabulous. I love that the first pillar is passion because that is like rule. So before I even knew your pillars, that like anyone who asks me for advice, I'm always like, if you're not passionate, it's not going to work. Yeah. If money's the number one motivation, it's no. just not going to work. You got to have the passion. I'll tell you an interesting story. So what you're talking about is extrinsic motivation. When people do things for money, a diploma, an award, a recognition, a bonus, anything like that. Those are the people who burn out or fail out. I remember when I was getting my doctorate and in one of the classes, I was taking a class with a woman, Dr. Marie Volpe, who turned out to be my advisor. and I love her. And on the first day, she asked everybody, why are you getting a doctorate? Why would you put yourself through this? It's a lot of work. It's very isolating. It's rewarding when you're done, but it's a multi-year marathon. Why would you do this? Why would you put yourself through it? Why would you put your family through it? And everyone gave their answers. And I remember what their answers were because I remember thinking this one's going to be what we call ABD, all but dissertation, which means you take all your classes, but you never do your dissertation. You never write it. You never defend it. You only did the classwork. And as they're doing it, I'm thinking in my head, this one's not going to finish. This one's going to be ABD, all the dissertation. This one's not going to finish. This one's not going to finish. And what became very evident was that those who were doing it for the recognition or for a promotion were never going to finish. But those who were doing, because there was this line of inquiry that they had to find out more about, they were intrinsically motivation. Not only did they finish, they finished in record time. Yeah. So you have to get to the core of your motivation. What really fuels you, the reason you get up in the morning, the reason you want to do what you do. You would do it in a snowstorm, a hailstorm, a pandemic. 
no electricity, you would still go do what you need to do because this breathes life into you. Got to find out what that is. All starts with that. Wow. And then all of those individuals who basically said for those reasons, never made it, huh? The ones who said, I'm doing it for the recognition. I'm doing it to get a promotion. You know, it's years later. I think they still didn't finish. They're never going to finish. I'd be very surprised. It was always one excuse after another. It was always somebody else's fault. Always a reason they couldn't get something done. They just didn't have it in them. They were not intrinsically motivated. The day it'll switch is when they become intrinsically motivated. Then they'll get done and fast. I find this so fascinating because like when you're mentioning this, I can think of all of the people who were money motivated or like title motivated and all that stuff. And I remember where they're at now and I'm like, oh my gosh. And it changed for me too. In my career in the very beginning, it was like, I was six figures in debt for my restaurants. So I was like, I just need real estate because I need to make a lot of money. And like, that's it, that's it. And then that happened for like a year or two as I got out. And then I'm like, what? You know, you almost force yourself like, hey, hey, what are you doing this for? Yeah. Remember, this is about legacy and because of passion. And that's what the gears shifted for me. Every time, every time. Insane. And then you get into this feeling of what's called flow. Your time just sort of stands still. You're not hungry. You're not tired. You don't need to go to the bathroom. It's just, you're in such focus that you will just keep at it because you're so passionate about it and you have that full focus. Mm -hmm. So you will just go on and on and on. Because imagine doing what you love and being able to focus. I mean, what a winning combination that is, right? Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Now I have to ask you because this line of work is just so fascinating and so niche. What did you want to be when you grew up? Well, originally I was going to be a nurse, then a doctor. I sat in one chemistry class. I said, this is not for me. And then I went into business and I went to business school and I tried finance. I thought that's what you were supposed to do when you finished business school. And that wasn't for me, but I always loved working with students, always. Mm. And now the older I get, now I enjoy working with faculty. And now my training is an adult. So adults are anyone from 18 to 120. So I'm, I'm doing what I love. I help people succeed. I love that. And was there like an aha moment that sort of made you shift into like, okay, this is what I want to do. This is my jam. Well, I think the critical thing to note is that your jam changes. What I wanted at 26 is not what I want now. And then I loved working with students. I loved doing day-to-day operations. And who knows, maybe one day I'll go back to that. But I needed a break from that. And I enjoyed doing the professional development. And I love writing. Writing is a new thing. My grandmother always told me I was a good writer, but I never did anything with it. I didn't enjoy it because every paper I wrote, I was writing for somebody else's rules. But now when I write between the Forbes and the Harvard Business Review and and the book that I'm writing, they're my rules. It's my story that I'm telling. And it's the most liberating experience. But the reason I enjoyed it so much is going back to that woman, Dr. Marie Volpe, When you are in your 40s and working on a doctoral dissertation, which is, I don't know, 150 pages long, if not longer, it takes everything out of you. And she taught me how to write succinctly. And then all of a sudden, it became fun. So writing succinctly and not academically all the time, even though I'm on the faculty, so I'm still writing 
academic paper with our academic jargon, but I get to do this other stuff as well. So I really get that balance, which is so fun. So, you know, your jam changes all the time. You just have to be willing to pivot, which is why I tell people do the passion audit as often as you want. So brilliant because that really is step one. It truly, truly. And like, I cannot say that enough to everybody. I'm like, you guys, you got to be passionate because especially, 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 especially if you're an entrepreneur, right. And you're ingrained in this, I don't know, 18, 20, actually 24 hours a day. You're kind of 24 seven, especially startup phase. You need to be passionate. Otherwise you're going to lose your why so easily. That's right. That's right. And you know, the other thing, and this is not just with entrepreneurs, it's with everyone, every single high achiever I spoke with every single one without fail have mentors all around them. Remember I said they'll learn from anyone Mm -hmm. constantly all around them. And they said they never would have gotten ahead if it wasn't for their mentors, their mentors encouraged them, their mentors pushed them. And there's a lot of research to back this up. Those who have mentors outperform and out earn those who don't. So I tell people, don't just get one, get a whole team of mentors. You need a whole bunch of people around you and not just in your industry. You also need to look at other industries and you want people who are senior to you. You want people who are at your level and you want people who are junior to you. So you really want a diverse mentoring team. They don't all need to know each other. They don't get together. This is not the board of an institution. They don't even have to know of each other's existence. You can just reach out to any particular member as you see fit. So you are really in the behind the wheel. You are really the one driving this. But it's so important to surround yourself with people who will selflessly give of themselves to you, who will teach you skills, who will give you perspective, who will share their network. You have to really surround yourself with people like that. And I actually have something for your listeners. I have another worksheet I put together if they want to learn how to put together a mentoring team, which will be effective for them. So I, it's on my website, Ruth Gotian, R-U-T-H-G-O-T, like Tom, I-A-N.com, slash mentoring team. There's the worksheet, there's instructions, it's free, have fun. Thank you so much. That's wonderful. Passion and then a mentorship team. And you know, speaking of that, I know you're involved with the Mentor Project. Mm-hmm. Yes. And also too, who's inspired your journey? Like re- remarkably so to get to get you where you are today. And that may have shifted throughout your life, or maybe there's a couple of them, but who has left that imprint on you to do what you do today? There's so many people. There's so many people who have influenced me. Some of them, it was subconscious. I didn't even realize that they were doing it. So my grandmother was a pharmacist. There were 13 women and 300 men in her class. And I learned from that experience, you want it, you go for it. And I have my aunt who is a foot shorter and a generation older than me. And I realized I was always sitting across from her because I was trying to just memorize her movements and the way she interjects in conversations and graciously switches the topic because she was in a field that was dominated by men and she needed to, and she's this petite thing and she needed to get her voice heard. So I needed to know how to do that. So I was constantly watching her, but then there's other people. There are people who are my academic idols, who were my teachers, 
there are people who guided me. There's Dr. Bert Shapiro. He gave me one sentence that completely changed the way I look at problems. When I was talking to him, uh, Dr. Bert Shapiro was the head of all MD PhD programs at the NIH before he retired. And I told him I was getting my doctorate and we were talking about, I knew the population, I was going to research physician scientists, but I didn't know which angle to take. And he really talked me through it. And he said, you know, you're looking at it from an angle that nobody has ever looked at. So think bigger than what you're thinking. Don't just do something interesting, do something important, which is fascinating advice because years later, I spoke to Dr. Tony Fauci, who's one of the people who will be featured in the book. And I said, well, how did you decide what to focus on? He said, it's very easy. If it's interesting, it's a hobby. If it'll have an impact on other people, it's important. Mm -hmm. Ding, 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 ding. Interesting. Isn't that fascinating? So the goal is to have an impact in your unique way. I cannot be you, you cannot be me. But there are certain things that I can do to impact other people. So yes, I am one of the volunteer mentors with the Mentor Project. There's 70 of us. These are people who are leaders in their field who are volunteering their time to help other people. And one of the things I have is a show on Monday nights called Optimizing Your Success where I bring in a bunch of high achievers, including several of the elite high achievers from the book. And we discuss different topics, everything from productivity hacks to imposter syndrome. Hmm. We've really discussed everything and you never know who's gonna come on the show because I've invited people from the book. So we've had astronauts, we've had Olympians, all kinds of people. And then they're also turning it into a podcast now. So it's fun stuff. Wow, that's incredible. That's incredible. 70 mentors and everyone's just sort of giving their time and just mm -hmm. willing to mentor, which I we have every different industry imaginable. That's fantastic. That is fantastic. And you know, and I tell a lot of people all the time too, I'm like, listen, there's so many resources out there. You just have to ask. Like yes. Andy Lapata, I'm going to shout him out in his book right now. Just ask. That's right. That's it. Simple. You have to ask. My father, blessed memory, he always said to me, you don't ask, you don't get. And yeah. he said, what's the worst that will happen? They'll say no. So why would you say no to yourself before giving them the chance to do it? So ask. Absolutely. And, and so many people are afraid to ask. That's the crazy part. They discount themselves. They don't need anyone else to discount them. And the original Dr. Ruth said to me, I'm not going to let anyone put me down. I'm short enough myself. So she doesn't let people put her down. And if you look at the most successful people, when someone tells them no, they don't hear no. They hear not yet. Mm -hmm. They hear, I haven't convinced you yet. We haven't found a way yet. We need to refocus, re-strategize. We will get it through. Mm -hmm. No means not yet. I love that. I thought <laughs> I was the only crazy person that believed in that. And they're like, Pam. Nope. It's hilarious because my friends, whenever they want something to get done, like if they wanted to get in somewhere or something, if I was in the group, magically I made it happen that's right and they're like just bring Pam and she'll she'll take care of it and they're like how do you get people to yes I don't get it <laughs> you like, talk to them like humans you have to figure out what it is that they truly need and truly want and talk to them human to human right everyone wants to be seen everyone wants to be heard they want to be yeah. understood 
understood and they want to be respected and with dignity. And it's as simple as that. And I tell people, I'm like, your tone of voice and the way you speak to people really affects them. You know, you just don't know. And and, And this is one of my biggest quotes is like, everyone's going through some sort of struggle and challenge, right? Everybody. You don't know what somebody else is going through. So at least just be a light that they see that day. She's like, hey, how are you? Even though you look like a crazy person sometimes. Well, you know, it's interesting because there's research. Remember the acronym PIE, P-I-E. Your success is based, and I might be off by 10% on some of these stats, but it's 10% on your performance, 30% on your image. What are you known for? And 60% on your exposure. What are you known for? How do other people see you? How do other people know about you? So only 10% is based on the work you're actually doing. 90% is what other people think of you. Interesting. Reputation. It's all reputation. It's almost like your stage presence in a way. Exactly. And the world is your platform. And especially now with social media. Exactly. Your own stage. I know, right? You make your own stage. That's right. Get your own audience. Absolutely. And I mean, you've studied success and you've done all these things, Dr. Ruth. What challenges have you personally been through and how did you overcome them throughout your journey? I know it wasn't easy for sure. (laughs) No, it definitely wasn't easy. I had an incredible support system. Getting your doctorate is hard enough. Doing it while you're working full time and raising a family means it's extraordinarily expensive. Sleep just was non-existent. There was no downtime at all. So I took classes fall, spring, and both summer sessions because I wanted to get done. So it was this constant marathon. So are there challenges? Every single day. But you know what I learned from the high achievers? The success is one chapter in their lives. It's not the only chapter. So the challenge is one chapter. It's not the only chapter. And I ask all of them, I asked the CEO of Build-A-Bear. I asked the former chairman of the Security Exchange Commission. I said, did you have any failures or challenges? And they said, I'm sure I did. I just can't think of them right now. Because it's not what they project outwards. It's not what they let them bring them down. There's something we call in adult development. There's a balance of Velcro or Teflon. Velcro is every negative thing sticks to you. Mm. And then it weighs you down and weighs you down and weighs you down. And you don't need other people to put you down. You've already put yourself down with how you internalize everything. And if you have a balance of Teflon, everything glides off you. Mm. And if it glides off you, it's liberating. Yeah, something bad happened. But if nobody died, we'll get over it. You lost the money, you lost the job, but we're alive and we're healthy and we'll rebuild. And this happens over and over and over again. So anything negative is one chapter. Anything positive, it's one chapter. It's not the only chapter. So I always ask people, and when I give talks, I always end it with, what's your next chapter? You decide. You're the author, right? Exactly. So that analogy kind of ties in with one of my favorite quotes ever. A ship only sinks if water gets into it. It was one of the most beautiful yet most simple things I've ever read, but I'm like, that is so. That's it. You can navigate any water, the worst of storms, Mm -hmm. and allow that water in. Mm -hmm. That you do. 
that's when you sink. And it's exactly what you just mentioned. It's that Velcro. You don't want that cognitive load. You don't want, you have enough things. You have to pay your bills. You have to get somewhere on time. You have all these things you need to do. You have this craziness of trying to stay sterile and disinfect everything around. I mean, we have enough to worry about. Yeah. You just can't add to it right now. Right. You worry about what you need to worry. So if you ask the high achievers what they worry about, they only worry about things that are in their control. They don't worry about things that are out of their control. I spoke to Devin Harris, who was one of the original Jamaican bobsledders in the Olympics. They're in Jamaica. They haven't seen snow or ice. And yet <laughs> they got to the Olympics. They met each other at the airport. That's where they first met each other. They went to the Olympics. They didn't have a sled. They didn't have a bobsled. They had to rent one. You know, what's worth worrying about? They said, we'll make it happen. We'll make do. And they made do. Wow. And they compete in the Olympics. Now Jamaica has a women's bobsledding team too. You just make it happen. Oh, You make it happen. And if it's not today, it'll be next week, next month, next year. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. <laughs> and throughout your challenges and, and also individuals that you've spoken with, you know, throughout the years, which has been an array of amazing people, you know, what has been kind of like the top secret to overcoming these challenges or getting past them or anything like that, any, anything that they've shared that was really fascinating? So th they really shared that they know whenever they hit a challenge that it's not forever. They know that going in that it's not forever. It's not insurmountable. They just haven't figured out the answer yet. So they dig their heels in and buckle down and they work to figure out the answer. They just didn't figure it out yet. That's why they don't give up. And we need people like that, right? That's the only way we're going to get treatments and cures for the things that we need treatments and cures for if people don't give up. Right. It's part and, of it. And just for life in general. I mean, when you're going through it, you know, it's knowing that it's not forever. Another one of my quotes is, you know, when there's a thunderstorm and you see the rainbow, right? After the storm, there's always a rainbow. That's right. But I think that nature speaks a lot to who we are, right? You know, in a strange fashion and science correlates with nature all the time too. So it's just amazing how it's all connected. And now right. through your experience, Dr. Ruth, you know, what has been like your biggest piece of advice and biggest like moments in, in your studies and the most amazing people that you've interviewed throughout the years? One thing I found out is that high achievers perform at a rate of 400% more than the average employee. So what if we tried to be a high achiever? So what I have learned from all of these people, it is so doable. We just didn't know how to do it. But all of these people, all the astronauts I interviewed, they were not accepted the first time they applied. They applied multiple times for years before they got accepted. The athletes did not make the Olympics their first time. I mean, one of the people I talk about, she was cut. And then afterwards, because someone else didn't perform, they invited her back to try out again. She had like two weeks to get it together. So these are stories of people who don't give up, they keep doing it. And I am convinced, I am really convinced that we can level up our own game, our own performance, our own achievements, mm -hmm. if we are intrinsically motivated to do so. So if people are intrinsically motivated to make those changes to improve, but not just improve, excel, mm -hmm. 
I can tell them how to do that. They got to do the work, but I can tell them how to do that. I knew this already going into it, but it's just it <laughs> so much sense. And it's just fascinating to know, like, this is the pattern between every successful human being. This is yep. what culminates everybody sort of in one nutshell, That's if you right. will, which is so, so cool. Wow. And what has been your favorite story to hear throughout the years? Well, it's interesting. I always ask the Olympic champions, where do you keep your medals and which is your favorite? So for those who have multiple medals, very often the gold is not their favorite. It's one of the others, which is interesting because there's always a story behind it. But when I asked them, none of them had their medals on display. There was one, that was it. None of the others had it on display. And I asked them where they keep it. And this one has it in the box under the bed. This one has it in a safe. This one has it in a brown paper bag in the sock drawer. One of them gave it all away to the Hall of Fame for his sport. And I'm always shocked by that. And I said, well, why? And they said, it's suffocating because it's something you always have to measure yourself against. Now, remember, mm. athletes are usually getting it in their 20s, some of them younger, right? They got that peak performance in their 20s. So they need to pivot and do some other things. They use their medals for their platform. All of the high achievers now give back, they mentor back. That's why mentoring is taking two chapters in the book. They didn't just receive mentoring, they're giving mentoring, they're changing policy. They use their medals as a way to lift their platform. So they use it to be able to get to meet with politicians and meet with lobbyists and meet with congressional committees. They're able to open doors because of their medals. Wow. Fascinating. It was very interesting. There's so many good stories. I mean, I spoke to a member of the 1969 world champion, Matt Shamsky, and the World Series champ. And I spoke to Scott Hamilton, the figure skater, and Apollo Ono, the speed skater, and a bunch of Paralympians, because I don't think they're getting enough spotlight, because we don't see the Paralympics on television. We only see the Olympics. So I spoke to Chris Waddell, who is a Paralympic ski champion. He's uh, paraplegic. And he also climbed as a paraplegic, climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. Yes. And Nobel laureates and Tony Fauci. I mean, there's, there's just great people who shared their stories so willingly and beautifully. And you know what? They put their sweatpants on one leg at a time, just like the rest of us. That's amazing. That's amazing. And I'm blown away by the medals situation because you would think that, you know, you work so hard for these dollars. I was shocked by that. Oh, you work so hard for these medals. And you one of you mentioned one of them has a in a sock drawer. In a brown paper bag. But you know, it's fascinating because you, you know, last year there was somebody who won the Nobel Prize. And that same day, that same day he was submitting a grant. So he's at his computer. There was another one who at his institution, the press conference had to be delayed because he had a class to teach and he was not willing to give up teaching that class. Even though he got a call a few hours earlier that he won the Nobel, he's like, I got a class to teach. They still have that. Scott Hamilton was an Olympic champion. It was the first gold medal in men's figure skating in about a quarter of a century. And he said, I'm not done yet. I still wanna beat this guy in the world championship. So he competed the following year. Like most people stop after they get the gold. 
Anton Ono wanted to try everything he possibly could after he retired. So he did everything from minerals to he won the Mirabal trophy on Dancing with the Stars. Oh my goodness. Wow. It's, it's wild. It's incredible. That is incredible. Oh my gosh. So that leads me to sort of my, my question of you know, what's the biggest piece of advice your older self would tell your younger self based on what you know now? So the biggest advice I now know is when someone tells you no, that means not yet. When someone tells you people might be envious and threatened by your success, but know that the real pillars of society, the real mentors want the mentee to outshine them. They measure their success by their success of their mentees. Go find mentors like that. That's amazing. And now with all this amazing work that you're doing, what is next in your world? I am writing this book, which we just approved the title an hour ago. It's going to be called The Best Success Factor. I am so excited. So you guys are literally the first people to know. It's called The Success Factor developing the mindset and skill set for peak performance. Your listeners are literally the first to hear it. It'll be out next winter, 2022. I'm writing it now. It's how I spend my nights and weekends. So, you know, with the pandemic, there's nowhere to go. So I just sit in front of my computer for endless hours. And right. That's what I'm doing It'll be out next winter. So I'll have to come back and share more detailed stories with you on the book next year. But I'm so excited because I'm an avid reader. So writing a book, being on the other side of writing instead of reading, it's different. I consume that knowledge, right? I I read 70 to 100 books a year. So all of a sudden being on the flip side, now I'm telling the story, not reading the stories. That's incredible. Oh my gosh. It is. Thanks for the sneak peek. I'm honored that we are the first to hear about it. Oh my gosh. I'm pumped for that. I cannot wait. You know, there's something really special and really humbling about these high achievers. I looked for people who not just reached these incredible heights, but they also made a point of giving back. And that is part of who they are. That is embedded in their fabric. And it's either one-on-one or it's in groups. It's foundations, whatever way that they turn out, but it's not about them all the time. Those are the kind of people I like to be around. I cannot wait for it to come out. I'm so excited. (laughs) In the meantime, while we're all anxiously awaiting your new book, where can everybody find you, Dr. Ruth? So my website is ruthgotian.com, R-U-T-H-G-O-T-I-A-N.com. For those who wanted the passion audit, it's ruthgotian.com slash passion audit. For those who want the mentoring team, it's ruthgotian.com slash mentoring team. And all the social media, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, it's just my name, Ruth Gotian. Thank you so much, Dr. Ruth, for being here today. You are such a rock star. The only dream that I've been chasing is my own. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week that posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to win a private VIP day with Pamela herself in Boston, Massachusetts. Be sure to go to theunderdogshow.com and pick up a copy of Pamela's free gift, 
and join us on the next episode.